Before time and words, the world was covered in a thick blanket of darkness. It was a warm and loving covering. If you were running around lost, you knew you were found when arms reached out in that loving darkness to hold you. And those arms that held the spirits in that beautiful dark space before time are holding us still. These are the words of a made-up origin story that Bell Hooks includes in her book, Sisters of the Yam. Hooks recalls a time when she was trying to explain to a curious little brown girl where babies come from. Where did they live before they were born? I imagine the little girl asking. Hooks creates this scene, a world of loving darkness, a world different from the world white people wanted black folk to live in. In this world, darkness and blackness are a magical space, a loving space that the little brown girl should not fear or dread. In her own feministic understanding, Hooks knew that the world would give this little brown girl dirty dishwater that she would see no images of her beauty, that she would see no images of her glory, that she might not see any images of a life free from the perils of poverty and pain. I wonder if Hooks knew that the images we'd continually see would be that of another lifeless body slumped over after another inhumane and unlawful police raid. Did she know that the images we'd continually see would be cold case headshots of all the forgotten, missing, and murdered black women and girls in this country? Did she know that we'd see obituary after obituary of those who died from COVID, of those who have taken their own lives in the past year alone? I believe she knew how filthy the Dutch water was how filthy the dishwater is, that it would give back no images, not ones of beauty and glory, not ones clear and free of the tainting of supremacy and sexism, classism, homophobia, and economic disparity. If I could just get them to the river, 
I imagine bell hooks saying if I could just get them to dance naked under palm trees and see their images, they could know. They could know their glory. They could know their beauty. They could know their worth in a world that has deemed many worthless. If they could see their images, they would know. In a career exceeding 40 years, Hooks encouraged all of us to use our sacred imaginations to invent images that show us the way we want to be and are so we could dismiss the dishwater, so that we could be free to hope again, to love, to live our lives fully. And because of this, so many would learn to love their identities, their blackness, their queerness, their womanness, in a world that wanted them to hate themselves and accept subjugation as a way of life, she understood that to love oneself in the face of ferocity is the most viciously radical act of resistance there is. And because of this, her work was no stranger to the banned books list. And as we know, that list keeps growing by the day. And, and like the banned books of Bell Hooks, our biblical text today is no stranger to this type of exclusion. The Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon, though it was not written by him, is part of what I call the left out of the lectionary club. The banned passages of the Bible. Now, for those of you who have taken Bible study with me, you know I have a special affinity for the scriptures that don't make the cut. I just really love to mess around with the ones that don't make it into the lectionary, the ones deemed too inappropriate or too controversial for the pulpit. But this is Myers Park Baptist Church where our covenant says we accept controversy as a reality of life together. So we dive into the controversial Song of Songs today because what often has been forbidden has the fruits of freedom growing within it. Often thought of as the Bible's only love poem detailing a romantic exchange between two lovers, the Song of Songs is rarely read or taught in Christian spaces. Even though early Jewish and Christian communities read it often as dialogue between God and God's community or as a metaphor for God's love for the people of Israel, the entirety of the book does not clearly refer to God or gods at all. Instead, it is more likened to the genre of Egyptian secular poetry, meant to evoke the drama of human love and identity. The book starts as many love songs do, warm and fuzzy. The woman who we'll call Ebony in this sermon opens with an alluring rhapsody as she expresses her affection for this mystery man of hers, inviting him to kiss her with the kisses of his mouth, my God. For his love is better than wine, she says. No wonder the young women love you. 
Take me away with you. Let us hurry. This opening passage shows the genesis of young love and would suggest that this entire book is full of romance and sensuality, full of innuendos and language too erotic for children to hear. No other passage in the biblical canon depicts love this way. As a matter of fact, to hear a woman speaking with such boldness and confidence about romantic desire or about anything for that matter is a huge departure from the characterization of women in the rest of the Bible. But beloveds, I come to you today to start some trouble to disrupt some notions, I, I come to invite you to de-romanticize the text with me for a moment. I come to you today in the spirit of Bon Jovi to let you know that this ain't a love song. Not the kind of love song you might think it is. This ain't Barry Manilow or Luther Vandross. Today's refrain departs from the album's theme. Ugandan biblical scholar Robert Wabianga describes the Song of Songs as an album, a musical album layered with many tracks, of which today's passage is one. In verse 5, Ebony's focus shifts away from the luscious language of the first couple of verses. She shifts away from her mysterious partner and toward herself as the subject. In what I can only describe as a radical proclamation of her identity, she begins to sing a new song. I am black and I am beautiful. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze on me because I am dark. My, bro my brothers ridiculed me and sent me to work in the fields. They made me care for the face of the earth, but I had no time to care for my own face. Tell me where you're working, my love. Tell me where you let your flocks rest. I want to rest there with you. Why should I be the one left out? Outside of the orbit of your tender care. This ain't the love song that you thought it was. She opens with the most poignant line, declaring that I am black and I am beautiful. Often mistranslated as I am black but beautiful, the conjunction but has long suggested that the first half of the sentence needs modification. I am black a bad thing, but I am beautiful, a good thing. It suggests that these two things being related is abnormal, that the woman's beauty is uncalled for because of her darkness. And in a culture where darkness language has been equated with evil, where being black is equated with being wicked or immoral. Black folks have become conditioned to justify their goodness, going above and beyond to prove their worthiness in ways that folks of the dominant culture don't have to. The mistranslation of this one little conjunction and the misrepresentation of blackness and darkness have fed the monsters of racism, 
anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, mistreatment of Caribbean and South Central American immigrants and beyond. Yet, in this moment of declaration, Ebony declares that she is black and she is beautiful, not to revel in the wonders of her physical attributes, but to assert her worthiness in a society that has deemed her unworthy. Unworthy of love, unworthy of affection, unworthy of an inheritance. I am black and beautiful is not about vanity or self-aggrandizement, but about creating the images Images in the river, images that showcase the fullness of her humanity to be able to love blackness in a world where she was gazed down upon, she creates an image. I think about all the little girls who could have used hearing Ebony's truth in church when we were young. All of the folks living on the margins who could have benefited from the image she creates here so that they too could know that they were black and, that they were gay and, that they were learning challenged and, that they were poor and, they were worthy, they were beautiful, their bodies had glory. No, this ain't the love song you thought it was. With this brief but mighty declaration, Ebony, like bell hooks, teaches us how to love ourselves radically. But the affirmative declaration is not free of lamentation or social critique. As she continues the song in verse six, she reflects on the mistreatment she's experienced at the hands of her brothers, her own brothers, flesh and blood. And in verse 7, she describes how she has been relegated to the margins of society outside the orbit of care, left in the fields with the fleas. Ebony isn't just singing a love song this morning. She isn't just whispering to her lover in a private moment of passion. In this passage... As Wabianga reminds us, Ebony is taking advantage of the theater space. In front of the daughters of Jerusalem, she is disrupting the status quo as she describes being exploited by her relatives, living without a vineyard of her own, an inheritance of her own, and being pushed to linger in the margins along with the fleas. Surely, this can't be a love song. Her proclamation of beauty is followed by a listing of woes of her existence. In the middle of the public square, what began as a romantic fantasy turns into a demand for justice. A request for a dignifying life a life with access to the knowledge and the skills that everybody else had so that she could break the chains of deprivation and ostracism. This ain't a love song, beloved. This is a justice song. 
This is a freedom song. Ebony's song is a protest song, like those of Fannie Lou Hamer and Bernice Johnson Regan. It is a song that says, I love myself so radically that you have no choice but to see my humanity. I love myself so fiercely, so publicly, that ratification of my socioeconomic situation should be on your agenda. I love myself so radically that breaking out of the fetters of poverty and breaking out of the fetters of discrimination is the only option and I will accept nothing less. Nothing less has to be the image if survival is on the agenda, nothing less. What Ebony says in this moment is not sexy or erotic. She is saying, I will not let the dishwasher, the dishwater define me. I will not let the corrupt politics of this culture determine my destiny any longer. I will be loved the way I deserve to be loved. I will be respected like my brothers have been respected. I will dance and rest under the palm trees and see my image in the river. And I will know that I am beauty. I am glory. I am whole. I am worthy. I am human. I am human. Her refrain is not unlike that of Black Lives Matter or the human rights campaign slogan, see each other, see trans lives. Ebony's refrain declares her humanity and her desire for that humanity. To be loved, to be looked upon favorably, to be cared for in partnership and community, to be loved to be seen, to be cared for, to be loved, to be seen, to be cared for. I imagine that there are many of us with those exact desires today. After two years of on and off again isolation, extreme loneliness, tumultuous political conflict, economic precarity, and mass death. The desires to be loved, to be seen, to be cared for are more dominant than ever before. The need to advocate for one's humanity in the face of chronic cruelty is more important than ever. And if Ebony was anything like those of us living on the margins, she had to reach deep into the depths of her sacred imagination and create the image she wanted to see because it was so hard to come by. But the burden of creating images shouldn't just be on those living on the margins. We don't love ourselves back to life in isolation. The transformation happens in community. Ebony wasn't talking to herself. It wasn't a soliloquy. 
She was singing with and to community. And if we are who we say we are, a community of faithful disruptors of unjust status quos, we as a collective are going to have to create some images. We are going to have to create space for the images of others to be showcased. We got to create mirrors. We have to invent the futures we want to see. Futures where every human being is seen and valued, where their life matters and they are cared for materially, not just spiritually, where they can see themselves in the river and know that they are black and beautiful or transgender and beautiful or gay or lesbian and beautiful or old and beautiful, poor, and beautiful, disabled, and beautiful, full of glory and worthy because they are created in the image and likeness of God. I want us to see ourselves in the river and know. It is our responsibility as community that hears and sees, loves, and cares for to make space for affirmative images, not just a few special Sundays out of the year, but every chance we get. This is what Ebony calls us to this morning. This is what Bell Hooks calls us to this morning, and if, you happen to have already seen your image. You take somebody else to the river and you plant them some palm trees so that they can dance and see their images too. And she She'll know her brown body has no glory. She'll know her brown body has all glory. Once she dances naked under palm trees, she'll see her image in the river and she'll know I'll plant her some palm trees on the street, on the street to help her see her images. Amen. <laughs>